Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. Last week, we looked at what the Bible is, where it came from, what it means to us, and we're building a picture of... The fancy word I'm going to use is orthodoxy, which is a word that means the correct belief structure. Um, right, right faith is another way to put it. Uh, and, and so we, we're building on that. We looked at, at the story of the Bible. And I don't mean the word story as a fiction, but the Bible is written in an order and it's meant to convey a purpose. And so we build on that this week. Um, all stories have a plot, and, and the plot is that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Um, whatever whatever that, that plot is from story to story. And the Bible is, in that sense, very much the story of humanity. There is a problem that needs to be solved. Um, the first, uh, the, the problem is sin. The solution is Jesus, not to give away the plot, but we know it, right? The problem is sin. The solution to the problem is Jesus. The first two chapters, as we looked at, uh, at at the end of last year, the first two chapters of the Bible uh, is man and God living together in paradise. Genesis chapter 3 is where the problem uh, rears its ugly, snaky head. And then the Bible is the story of that. And whether, whether you want to consider the cross is the solution to the problem or Revelation chapter 20, the final defeat of Satan is the solution to the problem. It's a little both, right? Um, regardless, that's, that's the story of the Bible. This is the point of the Bible. What has God done to redeem us from sin? And so if we, if we miss that, we miss the point of the Bible and we miss the point of why we gather together uh, in church. We miss what Christianity is about, our faith. It is the point of Jesus and the church and the Bible. This is not a social club. This is redemption. That's what we're here. So today, having said what is the Bible last week, before we can talk about the solution, and, and I, I appreciate, I, I, I quote this guy a lot, Francis Schaeffer. I, he was a Swiss theologian who said you cannot give people a savior until they know what they're being saved from. What's the point of a savior if you don't think that you need saving? So he would tell people about sin and bring them to what he, he called the point of despair. Get them to recognize that there is a problem, and then you can show them the solution. But who's going to accept a savior if they don't think they need saving? And I think that we forget that a lot. We're, we're so quick to try to tell people about Jesus, and, and we should be quick to tell people about Jesus. But if we don't tell them why they need Jesus and they don't see that, we're not going to get good results. So today I want to talk about, biblically, what is sin? Um, so with that said, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. 
And we're going to read a little bit of scripture today because we, got to, we have to set this, the, the stage. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. But after he drove the man out, He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You've heard this before, obviously. You've read this before. It sets our context. Genesis 1 tells us that we we were made in the image of God. In the New Testament, James uses the present tense. He says we still are in the image of God. So what does that mean? that we are in the image of God. I, it's not a physical appearance. We, we all look different. So I, I, I'm not the, the spitting image of God appearance-wise. 
So what is the image of God? Well, back to Francis Schaeffer, who I like, uh, and I agree with him on this. Schaeffer says it's in our free will. Um, We are different than the universe. Planets roll around on their course, but you can predict exactly where they're going to be at any given point in time um, because they're predictable. Uh, They can't change their mind on where they're going to roll around. Science tells us that objects in motion stay in motion or objects at rest stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. And so scientists can do the math and tell you exactly what the... In fact, there are computer programs you can buy that tell you exactly what the stars were like 2,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago. We can, we can use computer programs to, to figure, and, exa- and, and they're going to be accurate because that's not going to change. Um, it's not like you know, the, 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 uh, the different planets, one of the, one of the planets, I think, it's, I think it's Uranus, um, that planet has an unusual orbit. Instead of like spinning this way, it kind of rolls as it goes. But we can predict all of that. We can tell exactly where it was, um, Pluto, I, don't, I can't even keep track if it's a planet anymore or not, but it has this really weird elliptical orbit. We can figure all of that stuff out. Completely, it's amazing that planets are completely predictable. People aren't predictable. I can't even predict what I'm going to do in an hour from now. Um, we alone have the ability to choose our destiny. Now, somebody say, well, animals choose. Well, animals act but they don't make moral choices. You can train an animal to fear consequences of actions. Our, well, we, we got our dog, somebody had her before, reasonably well-trained. Hasn't, when we got her, she certainly wasn't going to take food out of our hands. Now, we like the dog, and I think the dog likes us, and I think the dog is getting a little bit more comfortable with us. I think the dog is doing that thing where it's kind of eyeing up, how much do I want the food? How much do I really fear Pamela, who's not a cruel person and, and not a terrible punisher? And I think the dog is getting a little bit braver. But the dog doesn't know right. The dog only knows I don't want to suffer the consequences, the disappointment um, that my owner might have. Uh, but the dog doesn't know right from wrong. It doesn't have a moral compass uh, animals don't do that. You can train them to fear consequences. But to quote another, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, says in the book, The Abolition of Man, he talks about the concept of ought. Humans alone have ought. We ought to do something or we ought not to do something. It doesn't have to do with the consequences. You shouldn't do that. Like, like I mean, other parts of the world... He uses the concept of taboo, and I've been to country, I've been to other countries like Papua New Guinea. With you know, don't go on that mountain. This isn't a biblical thing. Why? Why don't go on that mountain? Well, it's 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 sacred. Don't go on that mountain. What happens if I go up there? Uh, we don't know. Just don't go there. You ought not do that. And and no animal will think that. No animal will come up with this concept of why well, shouldn't do that. Whether or not there, are, we know there are things you shouldn't do, and it doesn't matter whether you get caught or not. You just shouldn't do certain things. Humanity agrees on a number of rules regardless of whether or not we follow the Bible because we, get, we have this moral compass and that's in the image of God who tells us that there are things that are holy and there are things that are against his will. 
Um, only human beings in God's image make decisions based upon not just what we want to do, but what we ought to do or ought not. It is this very freedom of choice that makes us like God, but it also then sets us up to fail because we can choose to be holy or we can choose to sin and do things that God doesn't like and that we know that we ought. Just because there are things that we ought not do, we do them anyway too often. You know, and that's even without the Bible. That's why Paul in Romans says we're without excuse. We can't say, well, I haven't read the Bible, so I don't know what I should do and shouldn't do. God built that within us. So let's be super clear. Sin is rebellion. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not an oversight. There, are th- there were things I was supposed to do this last week. There was a couple of people I said I would call them. It didn't happen. I got distracted. The next thing broke in the house. And I got distracted by repairs and went, you know, wake up Saturday morning and go, "Eh, there's two people that I was supposed to call that I didn't. That's not sin. That's a mistake. That's not what God is judging me for. Sin is rebellion. It happens when we know what is right and in our arrogance we think, we're going to do it anyway because I deserve to do this regardless of whether or not it's wrong. Pride is the root of sin. It's the root of wrong. It's saying, I deserve this regardless of whether or not it shouldn't be done. It's wrong. Pride is putting myself in God's place and thinking that I can make my own rules. And we can't do that. The human race lost its place with God in paradise in Genesis chapter 3. Sin separated them from God, and it still separates us. It's deadly. Um, Subtle, took me years to see, God clothed them in animal skins. That's the first sacrifice. These animals died and gave up their skins so that Adam and Eve could have something to wear. That's the beginning. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the first consequence. That's the first death. We don't know even what kind of animal it was, but animals died so that they could cover the nakedness that they didn't care about before they knew right from wrong, good from evil, because they didn't need to know right from wrong, good from evil, because God was going to tell them. All they had to do was follow God, but they now were supplanting God's place. Death comes into the world. That's a reminder. These skins that they have to now wear, a reminder that one day someone else innocent would have to die to fix the problem of sin. All right, so now we jump. That's the problem. Now we jump to the New Testament to see the solution. Um, but, but even before we do that, how bad is the problem? So this is where the source of sin comes from. I want to read about just how, how total it is. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Paul tells us, uh, back, backtrack to verse 9. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their, threats, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Some people will say, well, it doesn't seem fair that God punishes us for our sin. He made us. He made me this way. Why punish me the way that, you, the way that God made me? I hear that a lot. Yes, He made us, but because He made us in His image... And it is a mighty and great image. That greatness brings with it a risk that we wouldn't have if we weren't made in His image. God calls the shots. By definition, sin is doing things against Him. Sin is what makes us unholy. And He can't let sin within His presence without it. Because God is holy and because God is perfect, He cannot let sin in His presence. Um, then, then he wouldn't be holy. Um, perfection is marred by e- any in- imperfection. It's no longer perfect. That kind of goes without saying. We, we, last five years, um, perfect health can be ruined by something that I can't even see. Microscopic. How, how, many, how many virus particles, I don't know if they're cells or what, I don't know. There's something. What are what are they? Viruses are, are they are they tiny little organisms? I, mean, I know they're kind of like that. Do I call them a cell? What do I? We're going to call them a cell. These little cells. I can't see them. Boy, they can ruin my day. Um, you know, if I'm drinking water and, and uh, somebody gives me a glass of water and says there's not that much arsenic in it, you can't even see it. It's too much, right? Our sin is too much in God's presence. Um, some people have said that only that that the only sin that a non-Christian commits is being a non-Christian. And my response is, well, sort. I mean, I get the concept, sort of. At the end of the day, though, Christians aren't sinless as much as they are forgiven. So I kind of see that point. Uh, and I don't expect to, to be clear. And this is, I don't expect non-Christians to follow the Bible. I don't expect non-Christians to act like Jesus. I don't expect them to want to. Um, uh, if they, and, and, and to be clear, and I know a lot of non-Christians that live very moral lifestyles. I know a lot of Christians who don't. <laughs> and I know a lot of non-Christians who do live a moral lifestyle. But that doesn't mean that the non-Christian is going to heaven and the Christian is not. Because it's not based on a record of good versus evil, and you know, sixty-five percent or whatever gets you know top sixty-five, top thirty-five percent go to heaven, bottom sixty-five doesn't. Kind of like school, sixty-five and up is is a, is a passing grade, and below that is a is a failing grade. It doesn't work that way. Um, let's remember that it is all those sins that we've already committed that make us lost to begin with. Um, what, what, what if, 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 forgive me, my contacts are, are kind of messed up, I'm struggling to see my notes. What if they really don't get that Jesus is the sinner, is the Savior? What if sinners don't really get that Jesus is our Savior? Um, they're, they're sinners. They're unholy. Um, it's my rejection of God's holiness that condemns me, whether or not I get it. 
Uh, it doesn't matter if I get it. Uh, I, I'm not based, it, my salvation is not based upon what I get, right? Um, it, if I don't understand sin, I'm still a sinner. So we really do know better, and we really do bad things anyway. And, and, and Romans tells us that. God is holy, and letting us into heaven would ruin that holy perfection that heaven is. So, I need to be purified. I, I, I need that imperfection removed. Uh, and, 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 and I'm a sinner too. I'm a forgiven sinner, but I'm still a sinner. And I need daily, hourly, minute by minute forgiveness, cleansing, uh, cleansing from my sins. My unholiness condemns me. Even if I quit sinning and never commit another sin again, which isn't going to happen, even if I never commit any more sins, I've still got all this backlog, and everybody does. And we need to be purified from that. Okay, so turn with me if I had just a few more chapters. We'll stay in Romans for a bit. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Oh, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of the teaching. To which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin has a penalty. It is rebellion against God. It is rejecting God and His plans for you, for who you were meant to be, for who God made you to be, your nat- what's supposed to be your natural state. Whether or not you think you deserve hell is not the point. You know, our court system is the same. It doesn't matter if you think you're guilty in our court system. Um, what matters is, does a jury of your peers think you're guilty? Everybody thinks they're innocent, um, at least Everybody thinks they don't deserve punishment. I should probably say that. Uh, but it doesn't matter what we think. That's why we have a legal system. And God, the judge of the universe, is the one 
who decides whether or not we are guilty. It's not up to you or me. Whether or not sin is a big deal, whether or not we should be punished for it, because we're not the ones making the decision. Um, God is the judge of all creation. Uh, Sin condemns us to being apart, separated from God forever. That's the penalty. It's what keeps us from Him. Sin offers us a pleasurable present at the, at, at the cost of eternity, um, the expense of eternity. Our selfish pride doesn't always allow us to see that. So here's an analogy. Sin is this terrible cup filled with horribleness. Okay, whatever. Imagine the foulest substance you can think of, and it's in this cup. Now, this one is my life, and sin is this horrible stuff that's being poured into my life. Um, Every time we sin, we tip this and dump it in our lives. Um, And so now I have three problems going on here, right? Um, One, this cup keeps tipping into this cup, and that's that's my first problem. It keeps dumping sin into my life. All analogies break down. I know this is a very simplistic one, but it's not a bad one. Um, I didn't make this one up. I've seen this elsewhere. Um, the picture, this cup keeps tipping. This cup is now full and overflowing with garbage because this is bottomless. Um, and, uh, and, and even if I could dump this out, it's still filthy on the inside. So I've got the, I've got the source is still coming in. It's overflowing and the cup itself is now dirty. Uh, it has been said that this is the power, the presence, the penalty of sin. Um, the power has a hold over me. Its presence is that I am now corrupted. Um, and the penalty is that I'm going to go to hell for this. Here's what Christ does for us. First, He forgives us. He empties, he empties out the cup. I'm no longer full of all of that horrible garbage. This empties out the cup. Uh, this happens when I become a Christian. People say, you know, people ask the question, are you saved? which I've said before is a, is a tricky question because I'm, I'm saved. I'm being saved. When I die with Christ, I will be saved. Um, uh, if, if, if the problem is, if I dump this out, I've still got two, a twofold problem. One is this is still a filthy cup, and two, there's still the source that's pouring into me. So the second thing is that I'm cleansed. Not only am I, does God get rid of the sin that I did, but he makes it as if I never sinned, and he cleans out my life. And so not only um, do I not have sin in my life, but I'm forgiven. And, and, and the old sin that was a part of a part, an ongoing problem is gone. Um, when he, he makes me pure, when he looks at me, he doesn't see a gross, ugly sinner, but he sees someone like his son Jesus, which is really mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, and somebody might say, well, he's wearing rose, rose-colored glasses if he doesn't see my sin. And I would say, well, blood-covered glasses, but yeah, blood-colored. Uh, if that's rose-colored, if that, you know, the blood of Christ means that God doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees me as his son Jesus. Uh, he's not blind, but he chooses to wear the glasses. Have you ever see? I've got, I've bought some of those um, colored sunglasses. I have some red sunglasses. Um, don't drive with those. 
Um, the funny thing is, it's not that I can't see the red stoplights. I, I don't. See it. They, they block out the green, and I just and the green stoplights just don't exist um, because because of the tint of the glasses. Um, in a similar way, um, God chooses to see us through the blood of Christ. He doesn't see our past sin. Not only does he not only does he get rid of uh, of the penalty of sin and saves us, but but he forgives us of our past sin. Finally. He gets this to quit pouring into there. Um, he, gets, he, he stops the sin pouring into our lives and, in fact, puts a hole in the bottom. Um, uh, so, th- th- now this is a gradual, for all analogies break down, this is a gradual process. Um, you know, it's not like I, I wake up and I'm perfect, but I am being perfected. I am being made perfect, you as Christians are being made perfect, not as quick as we want, but we're heading in the right direction. We're not sinless, meaning I'm still going to do wrong things, but I'm in the process of being transformed. We are in the process of being transformed. One day, that process will be complete. Uh, but for now, we're, we're on a journey.